This is Cecil, and you're listening to the Diamond Talk Podcast presented by The Craft Factory. Now, here's Rob, Daniel, and your Shuey to bring you the latest of what's going on around the league. Welcome back to Diamond Talk. Hope you guys enjoyed your Thanksgiving. I know we were away for for a couple of weeks. You know, some of that had to deal with some traveling. Uh, taking a taking a break to eat some some food is never bad either. Rob, how's your Thanksgiving, man? Uh, it's pretty good, man. You know, just spending time with the family, always enjoying the food. You know, can't ask for more. Did your did your Puerto Rican family bring out the coquito? Or is it a little too early? Oh, uh, you you already know. You already know the batch is already done. We gotta make a whole new batch for Christmas. Like it's just nonstop during these months. Dude, I almost went to like my friend's grandma's house just to like count them. <laughs> and I was like, in my life. I was just like, yo, you know what? Like I want I want that coquito because it just doesn't happen often. Yeah, bro, you gotta take advantage of November and December. Those are the months. So other than us, there's some other guys giving thanks so far this season. Um. We had a few free agents signing over the last couple of weeks that we didn't get to talk about. Uh, the most notable one was just this morning in Zach Wheeler. He signed with the Philadelphia Phillies in a multi-year deal. We also had Grundell signing just a week ago. Uh, Rob, uh, out of all the free agency deals we've had so far, we've had Mustakis, Pomeranz, Jonathan Villar, you know, what, are you, what did you take so far? Uh, I mean, we've had some deals that have, quite frankly, been shocking. Um, I think that there are some there are some players who fit very nicely with their teams. Um, in that case, I, I focus on like Yasmani Grandal. I think he was a really good pickup for the White Sox. It's it's in, in general it's good to see the White Sox being active. They're trying to basically take over the AL Central, and the AL Central is realistically up for grabs. It's one of those divisions where you never really know if it's going to be the Indians. You know, the Indians might be going into a into a minor rebuild. The Twins, the White Sox, the White Sox are trying to uh, gear themselves up. And it's not bad because they got Grant out. And they also brought back James McCann, who was an all-star in 2019. So you have, like, two pretty good catchers. And over in the NL, you have Mike Moustakis to the Reds on a four-year, $64 million deal, I think it was. And for him, it's just finally good to see a team commit. You know, he had to go, like, two or three seasons just playing off of one-year deals. And he figures to slide in at second base um, in Cincinnati. And he's joining the lineup with Joey Votto, Aquino, Suarez, you know, a lineup that, that's looking to compete over in the NL. And a team that has a pretty underrated rotation. You know, we had the emergence of Luis Castillo. Um, and we also had Sonny Gray have a bounce back here, which a lot of us predicted him leaving the spotlight in New York. You know, he seems kind of like a guy who does better in a, in a small market setting. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're quietly building a very solid team. Last three seasons for Moustakis, 33 home runs, 89 RBIs are his averages. While he does have to improve his batting average, I think he's a guy who can definitely contribute. I think, yeah, so, so far, and I agree with you, I think Cincinnati is secret, not secretly, but they're slowly creeping up on that NL Central. We don't really know what's happening with the Cubs. Uh, you know, the Cardinals are good, but they're not great. So that division is definitely one that was very competitive last year and coming into next year can be, you know, swung on one or two players. Uh, the one thing I want to ask you about is also Wheeler. Man, I, we talked about it just a couple of weeks ago and how about what kind of numbers we thought he would get. And, you know, Nick was right on the mark. He said that he's going to get plus 20 mil for about four or five years. I thought that was a little high, but that is what he ended up getting. You know, what, what's your what's your take on Wheeler with the Phillies? Because that is, that is the biggest finding so far. Yeah, I, I mean, 
it's it's kind of like a 50-50 pickup. I'm not really impressed by the contract itself. I do, I do agree with you. I think the $118 million that they paid was a little excessive. And not even just that, you know, seeing that the, the fact that the White Sox had even offered a bigger deal than that, you know, it's it's two teams that, are, that were desperate for starting pitching. So in that case, the Phillies did a good thing because they were able to address their biggest need. But you also you have, to, you have to take the contract into context. So essentially, you're telling me that the Phillies are looking at Zach Wheeler to be their number two guy behind Aaron Nola. I'm not sure that he can be that guy. You know, he had a solid, he had a solid 2019, went 11-8 and eight with a 3.96 ERA, 195 Ks. But for his, his career, he's a 3.77 ERA guy. You know, he's, he's almost at like a 1.3 whip. Um, I know he has dealt with his, with his injuries, you know, so we definitely want to take those into account. But I don't know if Wheeler is necessarily the answer for Philly. So while he, while he's a big contract, I would still look at the, at the Zach Wheeler signing and say two things. One, I wouldn't count the Phillies out on still potentially going after someone like a Steven Strasburg. I don't, I don't know that they're completely done going after pitching because I don't know if Zach Wheeler is a legit number two. And another thing is, I'd see how his signing financially impacts the market for a guy like Madison Bumgarner. You know, Madison Bumgarner was a guy who we saw um, potentially staying in San Fran. But if he does leave San Fran, now we're seeing rumors of him potentially getting a $100 million deal, which I did not see at all. So the Zach Wheeler signing might have just made things a lot sweeter for Madison Bumgarner. Yeah, you know what? That, that makes sense. Because coming, you know, usually this is one MLB, like any other sports organization, is a copycat league where you're going to try to copy what was successful, uh, you know, the, the latest. And last year, that was starting pitching. So it's it shouldn't be shocking that the starting pitching market is garnering as much interest and you know paying out as much money as it is and as as much as it's projected to to give out uh one last one last free agent touch that i i just didn't know why this was done it didn't make a lot a lot of sense to me but pomeranz to san diego for the amount of money he got he pretty much got zag britain money i want to say i think he got four years instead of three but he got a lot of money for a dude who's been successful for about three months in the mlb you know, do you have anything on Pamerans? Yeah, man, that's that's a sign that I don't understand at all. I mean, I understand it from the sense that the Padres need relief pitching, but that was just a complete overpay. Like you said, it, it, it was three good months with, with the, I think it was the Milwaukee Brewers they ended this season with. Um, but yeah, $34 million for four years. That's, that's Zach Britton. That, you know what? That's, that's essentially Zach that's well it's less than Zach Britton money in terms of like annual value but the annual value is almost equivalent to like Adam Adovino last season Adovino signed three years 27 million with the Yankees and look at the season that Adovino had as a whole before signing that deal compared to what Pomeranz did this past season and I absolutely do not get this deal whatsoever um I honestly just think that San Diego jumped the gun a bit was the market for Drew Pomeranz that hot that they had to jump so quickly at this amount we'll never know you know he could end up being a, an, an effective part of their bullpen but it's a very small sample size that they're going off yeah i i still don't see it i just don't see it. i don't see a lot of ways where you could justify it. it it's one of those things where like wow you really have to pitch above your the level you have been in order to like justify that mm-hmm. but other other than that man let's get to the fun stuff you know 2019 you know, just just ten years ago, 
we still had some of the better players in MLB history still playing. You know, we still had guys like Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera, David Ortiz, Adrian Gonzalez, guys that absolutely ruled the 2000s. And I don't know about you, but making these lists up, I felt really, really old. You know, I was looking, I was looking at guys. I was like, oh, there's no way this guy has been playing since 2011. And then you think back, it's like, oh, that's when I graduated high school, man. Holy crap! So <laughs> let's go for all decade teams. Uh, we've seen it on MLB Network. Some of those guys have been releasing lists, and you know, I, I think we start off with what I believe is the most important position is going to be catcher. And I have a feeling I know who you're going to pick, but. On your all-decade team, who's your starting catcher? Yeah, man, my starting catcher is Yadier Molina, and I know that's surprised. Uh, that not surprised at all. But look, here's the thing: it might be controversial to some because I've seen a lot of the lists out there, and a lot of them have Buster Posey in that position, and that is completely fine. It's a one A one B situation. It's either Posey or Molina. Any other answer for catcher of the decade is just plain wrong, in my opinion. Like, it has to be one of those guys. But here's the thing. I'll give you a wild card, though, for that catcher spot. And I'll, I'll let you keep going about Yachty, but I think one guy who's not going to be on many people's lists, but that maybe should be, is Salvador Perez. Because he, okay. he, you know, he not, granted, he's not my guy. I'm, I'm going faster like a lot of other people, but I think he's someone that, at the very least, deserves, deserves mentioning that probably won't get mentioned a lot. Because if you see what he did, it was kind of akin to Yachty as far as leading his team to you know, World Series and, you know, winning one and stuff like that. But, but anyway, let's get back to Yachty. What, what, what's your take on Yachty? Well, my take on y- Yachty is just, it, it's kind of just comparing comparing the, the numbers, you know, realistically. And me, you and me discussed this a little bit earlier, but for me, it's also looking at the ages. You know, Yachty is um, about four years older than Buster Posey. Buster Posey's entire career was essentially this decade. He, he played a couple, a few games in 2009, but he really took off in 2010. Now, the thing is, the, there's two standouts in which someone can make the case for Buster Posey. One, he won an MVP, which Yadier Molina never did. And the other one was he was a three-time champion with the San Francisco Giants. And Yadier only won one title with the St. Louis Cardinals during the decade. Now, my thing is, and for this position specifically, I look at consistency. And Buster Posey was the better offensive player, but Yadier Molina's defense was just superior to his. And you can see it, you can see it in the awards. I mean, Yadier was an eight-time All-Star, seven-time Gold Glove winner. Um, and Buster Posey, if you really look at his numbers, his MVP season was something that he wasn't really able to replicate on that sort of level ever again in his career. Like, if you look at his MVP season, his home runs were his career high, his RBIs were his career high, his batting average was his career high, his OPS was his career high. His OPS that season was the only time in his career he had an OPS over 900. Um, And, you know, not to say that he wasn't a good hitter because his OPS usually was um, higher than Yadier's throughout throughout the decade. But my thing goes with age, and and you also have to take age and injuries into account. And if you look at it, I mean, look at look at the end of the decade. You talk about 2018, 2019, Buster's 31, 32. This is an age where, you, where you're still expecting guys to produce at a high level. And if you look between 2018 and 2019, he played about 220 games. He had about 12 home runs, 12 home runs, 80 RBIs around there. And Gaudier had about 
120, 120, 130 games and had 30 home runs and 100 plus RBIs with like around a 265, 270 batting average. So if you look at it towards the end of the decade, Yadier essentially took away the advantage that Posey had over him in terms of hitting. And Yadi has the advantage on defense. But I don't think going with either guy is wrong. I just have a presence for Yadier. I think he's been a lot more consistent throughout the decade, even though Posey has some achievements that can trump what he did. I think the unfortunate part about Buster is that his career just kind of reminded me a lot of Joe Mowers, where right. after catching so much and being such a good explosive player, you know, his legs just kind of couldn't do it anymore and that he lost a lot of explosiveness. And eventually yeah. he moved to first base and became, you know, you know, he, he became a usable player. And I just think Buster Posey's kind of going that way. Let, right. Let's go to the next position, though. Yeah, the, the next position, though, is a lot more to discuss. Because it depends, one, how you view the game. And two, you know, what, you know, are you looking at the at the end of the, of the last decade or are you looking at the beginning of it? And that, that, that position is first base where you have a lot of good candidates. First base is one of those very strong positions where you have a lot of good players to, to discuss. Who's your all-decade first baseman? I went with Miguel Cabrera. And I know I know the old, uh, the guy who I had second was Joey Votto, but I, I decided to go with Cabrera, man. He he did some things this decade where it's just, it's just crazy, you know, the fact that, that we were able to experience. I mean, for one, he, he, got, he had that triple crown season. Historic. That, Historic. That alone, yeah, that alone like, not saying that that automatically gives him the nod over bottle, but damn, man, just being able to say that someone was a triple crown winner, and if you look at those triple crown numbers, like, I mean, you're talking about a 636 slugging percentage, like, a 348 batting average, like, he, he won, that was, that was his second MVP as well, um, because he won, he won back-to-back in, in 12 and 13. I don't know, man. This like first base was a really, really tough one because if you look at Bottles' numbers, like Bottles' OPS, his walks, like he's a very he's a very consistent player. I gave the nod to, to Cabrera, but it was super close. I mean, both of them both of them finished. Um, I think both of them had like equivalent like six or seven seasons finishing in top ten in MVP voting. And Bottle did have um, I think it was seventeen where he finished second to Giancarlo in the NL MVP voting. So for him to be able to have, that, you know, essentially an MVP caliber season um, that recently, but you know, you're, you're. I think this year we started to see a bit of a decline from Joey Votto, and we've seen a we've seen a decline from Miguel Cabrera. But then you also have to question like how much of that can you attribute to injury that he suffered recently? Um, but yeah, I'm going with I'm going with Cabrera at first base. My thing with first base was, and by the way, I have Miggy too. For me, for me, it's Miggy pretty clear out. Uh, I, I, for me, it wasn't as hard to make a decision, and, and I'll tell you why. You know, I think Miggy, his peak was so high, where he was hands down the best hitter in the major leagues, where that was really, it really wasn't up to debate for most parts. Right. Votto was one of those guys where, like I said, the analytics guy love him. He does a lot of good things as far as, you know, not making outs. I think it was something like two years ago where he had that crazy statistic where he had gone like a million at-bats without popping up to the infield or something like that. Right. And, yeah. you know, things like that make me think, oh, you know, Votto's a really good player, but when I look at just impact on a team, first of all, Mickey was taking the team to a World Series. We can't forget the fact that he did play in a World Series even though the Giants uh, beat him. You know, he was a big part of that team. I want to say that's one of his MVP years. You know, second thing with Mickey is, 
you're right. He's he's gotten hurt. He's gotten injured, and we haven't really seen, you know, Miggy at his top level. But for Votto, he hasn't been injured, and he's been playing, and he just hasn't been as good. You know, I don't think I don't think it's crazy to say that Votto isn't a top five first baseman in that anymore. I think, you know, he's past that point in his career. You know, and one one random guy to throw out there just because when you compare his numbers. I wouldn't say they're as good, but he has made that impact, and he has been consistent enough. Is Paul Goldschmidt? Paul Goldschmidt, when he was playing for for Arizona and for um, you know this year with with St. Louis, he's had really good years. He plays Gold Glove caliber first base. He's a guy that might be a little bit underrated because because Arizona hasn't had as good of uh, a time winning, you know, I mean, as the other guys. So I think that he's a guy that you know again might get might not be thought about as much as the other two. But someone who, who probably deserves consideration. All right, the next the next position is probably I don't know. This this one was hard for me to pick because you know the years that the players that played it it goes further into two, into the two thousand you know nine two thousand eight than I wanted to. But it was the guy that that I wanted. I'll tell you my guy first. You know, I had I had Robinson Cano. Robinson Cano was my was my all decade second baseman. I have a feeling you're going to disagree, and I don't blame you for disagreeing, but who, who's your second baseman for the All-Decade team? Nah, man. I agree with you 100%. I went Robinson Cano with the, on that one as well. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. I, I'm a little surprised, man. I felt like um, there's a huge there's a huge argument to be made for um, Jose Altuve. For a little guy in Houston, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little guy in Houston, man. And, you know, the thing with Cano, though, Again, he was such a dominant second baseman, and even when he went up to Seattle, he was a guy that was hitting 40 home runs a year for the first time in, in his career. You know what I mean? And and I get it. The whole those a whole PED thing, which you kind of have to talk about with it. But this was this at, at points he was the best, not only offensive second baseman, but the best defensive second baseman in the league too. So that's why I had I you know I get it. He's a little slower now. He, he didn't look too great the last the last couple of years, but. For me, it was hard to, to, to go against Cano. Why do you have Cano? Yeah, man, for some of the reasons you named, I, I think for there was a good three or four year period where he was the best offensive and defensive second base in the league. And just, you know, he, he's essentially, he essentially was for the first part of the decade what Jose Altuve has, has been for the, for the second part of the decade. You know, he's been a guy where you see him as the top guy at his position, but you also see him as like a top 10 player in the game. And, you know, I decided to go with him. He, mostly, both of them have their controversies. You know, Altuve's controversy is coming up a lot more recently. Oh, yeah, it has. Thing that's, yeah, with this whole thing that's happening with Houston, you know, you know, there's there's been talks about will the league go back and review uh, Altuve's 2017 MVP season? You know, there's been those types of talks. Now, you have that, which is considered cheating, and you have what PD usage, which is also considered cheating. Um, so both of them, you know, both of them are not clear of, of their own little scandal. Um, but yeah, I, I like Robbie Cano. Robbie Cano, he, he did it in a big market too. Let's not forget about that. He stood out, he stood out in a New York Yankees lineup that's very tough to stand out in. Like Robinson Cano spent maybe the first like three or four years of his career before entering the decade as just the Yankee second baseman. And then once the decade took off, he, he really, became, like, that was essentially his team. Like, he was one of the three main guys on that team. Um, so he did it in a big market. He went over to Seattle. His numbers fell a little bit. But, you know, I, I do I do benefit a little bit of his numbers to being able to play in Yankee Stadium um, with that right field being so short and him being a lefty. 
Um, but yeah, I, I just like I like Ron Sicano slightly more than Jose Altuve, even though Jose Altuve had a tremendous hand to the decade. For me, Cano's was just an overall superstar, man. Like you, you didn't see a home run derby without him and his dad, you know, competing. He was the, the captain for the for the AL team multiple times, and when it was his time in New York, he absolutely owned it. You know what I mean? So he, you're right. He takes a lot. If we're gonna go a non-controversy candidate, I gotta go with Ian Kinsler. I think yeah. Ian Kinsler was one of those guys where he was never the best second baseman, but he was consistent. And his consistency probably warrants him being in the conversation. And, you know, he's still playing too, man. He hasn't been the same, but, you know, but oh, go for it, man. No, something I just wanted to point out was, like, I, there's kind of like a theme forming here, because if you look at it, the last three positions that we've taught, catcher, first base, and second base, we essentially have candidates who are 1A and 1B. And we have really good number three guys, but that's what they are, is number three guys. Like, mm. they don't top the two guys in front of them. And, you know, it's 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 these guys that are worth mentioning because they usually don't get enough credit um, as being number three guys. But, you know, the two guys that are in front of them are just like, were just that much better in the decade that, you know, it, it's kind of sad to see, you know, for example, the biggest example being Paul Goldschmidt. Paul Goldschmidt is one of the best first basemen in, in, in baseball. But then you put Joey Votto and Miguel Cabrera in front of him and, you know, Paul Goldschmidt just automatically goes down to number three. Fun little tidbit that you probably wouldn't think with uh, Ian Kinsler is the fact that he has a World Series championship right now. He won, he won that with Boston, and that's, something, and that's something that you really don't think about. He really wasn't an instrumental part, but he was right. part of that team, so he does have a ring. Yeah, he does. All right, let's go. Let's go to our next for our next position. And this position, I don't know. It might be the first the first position where it has a retired player as the answer. Uh, we're, th- we're talking about third base, a position that I felt was rich this decade. Third base was probably the best position overall the league has had in may, maybe in the history of baseball. We had we had some of the best third ba- base played both defensively and offensively this decade that we've seen in such a long time. We had so many good options for, to pick from some thir- from third base. So I'll let you go first with this one, man. Who's your who's your third base one? Who's your third base for the all decade team? All right. So quick question: Because you beat, just just to get your stance on it, because you said that this is a position that might have a retired player. Did you go Adrian Beltre? Ooh, I did it. I did it. I thought about it really hard. And okay. and I wanted okay. to, but I couldn't I, do I, it. I, I, was just, I was just trying to see. I, was just I couldn't to see do it. I know look, I know that's the most popular answer. It was, trust me. I looked at I looked at at least ten lists and they all had Adrian Beltre as the decade's third baseman. But I'm about to tell you something right now. The best third base of this decade was Nolan Arenado. It was Nolan Arenado. Oh, find a dime, man. That was my answer, too. I, I have Nolan, too. Look, he's the best third base. Like, oh, my God. No disrespect to Adrian Beltre. Like, none whatsoever. Hall of Famer, without a doubt. He's, he's going in in a, in a few years when, when it's his time to, to come up uh, for election. But Nolan Arenado has gone seven years into his entire career and has won a gold glove in every single season. He is the best defensive third baseman, one of the best overall defensive players in the entire league. Now, here, I'm, I'm telling you right now, this is what's going to be the, the problem with Nolan Arenado. He plays in course field. He plays in course field. What just you though? Look, I'll say this, because you're right. Nolan Arenado does play in course field, 
But don't you play that at Arlington, man. Like, that's a hitter's ballpark in its own right. You know what I mean? It's not like, look, it's not people struggle hitting home runs at in Texas. Look, man, like, I- I'm just saying, like, Nolan Arenado, Nolan Arenado has, I think, I looked up it, I don't remember if it's correct, but I think Nolan Arenado has the same amount of home runs that Beltre had in 10 seasons in seven. Like, in his seven career seasons, he has the same amount of home runs. Like, he's a guy... We don't appreciate Nolan Arenado enough. Like, I don't understand what people don't understand about this. Like, think about it. Nolan Arenado has still not won an MVP award. Like, how has he still not won an MVP award? Like, okay, we might take into consideration that the Rockies haven't been as successful as a postseason team. But, you know, my stance is postseason doesn't fall completely on one player. Because if that was the argument that we're going with every time, then take away all of Mike Trout's MVP. And that's the argument that we're going to Some people are trying to. Some people are trying yo, to. Yo, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, but man, look, I'm just going to leave it at that. People, look at the numbers. Nolan Arenado, seven years. The guy is still 28 years old. Already a top five player in baseball. Without a doubt, the best third baseman in baseball. Without a doubt, the best third baseman of the decades. Yo, craziest Nolan Arenado thing I've heard in the last, like, I don't know, a couple weeks. Apparently... There's some reports that Rocks are trying to trade him. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't know who has that kind of package. I don't know who has that kind of money, but it is something I've heard. And just, you know, just so we can, you know, put out some of the other names that were probably in consideration, you know. Dude, Manny Machado. Man, if you want to talk about someone who's underrated, and I mean really underrated, Manny Machado. Man, dude, he had a great season this year. He played gold glove caliber defense. I think he played as well defensively as Arenado in some points. And, you know, he's so young, dude. He's he's only, what is he, 27? I think he's turning 27 this year. And, you know, that, you know, other guy, Chris Bryant, came into the league, wins rookie of the year, wins an MVP, wins a World Series for a team that hasn't won one in, you know, since your great grandfather was alive. And,. You know, I think the thing that hurts him was injuries this year and also just the fact that he came in so late to, into a decade. You know, just other guys think about, you know, Josh Donaldson absolutely put up a great decade. Um, Evan Longoria. Yeah, the, the position is absolutely, absolutely stacked. stacked. Absolutely stacked. Nolan Arnold's the best third base. He's been, like, to me, he's been without question. Like, we, ju- we just need a bunch of guys, right? But to me, he's been, without question, the best third baseman in baseball for at least the last three seasons. He's been the most consistent, too. He's, yeah, he's definitely like, been the yeah. most consistent. Where We don't have to, you know, there's there's guys like, you know, Longoria, who's, who has fallen off pretty hard. You know, you know, obviously, uh, Beltre's retired, which kind of hurts him a little bit. But, yeah, you know, I, we were blessed to have that third base class the last, you know, the last decade. Let's move on to a position that I felt we weren't as lucky to have. A position that was kind of rough to find, you know, a number one guy. And, you know, this guy that I have at shortstop, and I'm going to let you go first again. But, you know, just a little prerequisite. The guy I have isn't going to be a very popular guy because of the way, you know, his career kind of kind of went. But who do you have at shortstop? I have too low, man. I have too okay. Low. It, it, it has to be too low, but... I, I'm assuming that's who you have as well. That's, that's what I have. I have Tulo too. Yeah, this this position is hard simply because we're moving from a position at third base that was so rich with talent, and this position was not. 
for the decade. I mean, the, don't get me wrong, the tradition kicked up like in the last three seasons. I mean, the tradition might be the, the most sad tradition at the moment in baseball. It's, it's gotten better. In the, yeah, in the decade as a whole, I mean, the clear choice is Tulo. And man, it, it hurts. It hurts, man. Because I remember, I remember when Jeter, I remember when Jeter was like coming down in his time with New York. I wanted the Yankees to trade from Tulowitzki so bad. Like I wanted a prime Tulowitzki in New York so bad, man. And we got him this past, yeah, it was this past season we got him and he got hurt and he unfortunately had to retire. But yeah, Tulo, Tulo was one of those guys who, who was putting up like, great, like super great offensive numbers for a shortstop. I mean, if you really think about it, um, even though I think he's more he's more consistent, but you know, Trulowitzki was essentially what Trevor Story is now for the Rockies. Yeah. You know, he 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 was doing that for them and or or and he was also Arenado in the sense that he was the Rockies like face. He was the face of their franchise. So yeah, it's 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 a sad career. It's a sad career that was unfortunately derailed with injuries. But even then, like it gives you an idea of how weak the position was throughout the decade. That Tulo Tulo was essentially healthy for the first half of the decade, and he still put up the numbers necessary to be considered number one. Dude, it was it was so weak, man. It, it was so weak because this is a guy who you know I picked Tulo basically because of the first few years of the of the 2010s. Because his career kind of fell apart after he started getting injured so much, you know th those seasons where he didn't finish because he was so because he was so hurt all the time. But he did have great runs with the Rockies. He had a great run with the Blue Jays there for a little bit, man. And just to put it into context of how slim shortstop was, my second guy is Lindor, which is you know no slight to him. Lindor is a great player, but he's played what four major league seasons. You know, so 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 in, in in that time, he's you know it's a great thing that he's he's been in the conversation. But you know, after that, and I'm you know it's too bad Nick's not here. But you know, Brandon Crawford maybe. Um, a surprise one, and you were talking about guys and their age. Elvis Andrews started 2009 at like 20 years old, and he's played for Texas. He's got he's gone to a couple World Series, and he's 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 turned 30 I think last year. So he was a guy that played the entire decade, and because of his consistency, he was never a bad player. He's always been an, a borderline all-star player, but never a consistent all-star player. He's, he's maybe somebody that you can put in there based on that, but yeah, shortstop was rough, man. I, I don't want to do that ever again. Give, give me some better shortstops. That was like No, we, we got, look, for this upcoming decade, we got, trust me, I mean, Lindor, Baez, Story, you know, you have Glaber, all these guys coming up. Tatis, like, can't forget Tatis. Yeah. Oh, Tatis, you even, listen, you even have uh, Vichetti out in Toronto. Like, yeah, yeah. We, we have a good selection. We have Bro, look, look, shortstop was so rough. I was about to put Machado there because he played that one <laughs> terrible yeah. season at shortstop. It was that just was like, look, you played one season where you were absolutely awful defensively at shortstop, but it was so bad that we're going to put you in. Yo, yeah, it's so bad. We so bad we could make a case for Jerry Jeter. Yeah, for real. Bring, bring him back. <laughs> like, he, he could he could have possibly been. Yeah, I mean he retired like what 2013. Yeah, he's yeah. He like, could have a couple of years. He had a shot at this list, which is disgusting. Because those were bad years too. All right, let's move on to the next one. This next one was just as hard. And I did this and I lumped the three outfield, I, all three out. I, I put the outfield together. So we're not going to do left field, right field, center field because yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that, that, that wouldn't that wouldn't have helped anybody anyway. You know, in um, the outfield, it was one of the most inconsistent positions 
in major league in the last decade. And the guys that we have chosen, you know, might surprise you, might not. You know, hopefully, hopefully it doesn't. I don't think it's anything crazy. But based on the inconsistency of what they did was why we have these guys. So you know we'll go we'll go um let's go your three guys. Who, who are your three guys? I mean look, let, let you and me both, let's just get one guy off the list. Mike Trout. Mike Trout, Mike Trout. We don't even no explanation needed. Yeah. Look at the numbers. Like if you don't know who Mike Trout is at this point, like, man. What, you're not watching baseball. You're, you're not watching baseball, you're the easiest person on the, the the easiest person on this all-decade team, probably outside of like some of the pictures you'll see later on, but, but yeah, by far the easiest person on this list. For the other two slots, there was one that was not so hard and one that was. So for for the second one, I had Giancarlo Stanton. I just think I just think Giancarlo Stanton didn't get as much credit as he deserved for this decade because he spent so the majority. Well, yeah, the majority of it outside of like two seasons with the Yankees, he spent with the Marlins. Um, right. And you know, no one really pays attention to the Marlins if we're if we're being honest here. That's why that team was sold to the group that included Derek Jeter. You know, they're trying to build something something different than what it was. Um, but yeah, I I went Giancarlo Stanton simply because for this decade, to me, before before we had guys like Aaron Judge and Pete Alonzo, Giancarlo Stanton was the most feared power hitter in the game. Like his ability, yeah, and, and even still, like it's not to take away from Giancarlo Stanton. This past season, he deals with injuries. He is still one of the most feared power hitters in the game. Like his ability to just mash a baseball is just ridiculous. I think he, he has over three hundred plus career home runs. If he, if like he's a guy who, if he didn't get that many, that many more injuries in his career. He could have a legitimate chance to join like the 600 home run club, you, you know, simply because he is he for the, for the majority of his career he is a 35, 40, 50 home run type of guy. So we're we're gonna see how the rest of his career plays out. And then for my third slot, I went with Ryan Braun. He he's a guy who also has this controversy because we all know that he won MVP, I believe it was back in 2011, but then he also got the PD suspension, which kind of tainted his MVP. Um, he was in that really tight race with Matt Kemp, but Ryan Braun has been consistent for the Brewers and he's remained consistent even, even till the last few seasons. I mean, the guy, he's not hitting as many home runs. He's not putting up the, the same power numbers that he was at the beginning of, of the decade, but he's been a pretty consistent hitter in that lineup. Um, but yeah, the third spot was kind of tough. You have, you have some other guys like Andrew McCutcheon. I really almost went with Andrew McCutcheon because that period that he had from like 20, like, I think 2012 to 2015 or 2016 with the Pirates, like, he won an MVP. He won an MVP. He finished top five, like, another three seasons um, during that time. He was just, he was, like, an all-star every single one of those seasons. Andrew McCutcheon brought, like, relevance back to that Pirates team. Like, yeah, he, he was that face. He was that face. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, in Pittsburgh, you know, and, and he, to be honest, he was, like, a role model. He, he... If, you know, we, we talk about different topics here. If we want to talk about the African-American aspect of it, like he was probably the most recognizable African-American player, like position player before Mookie Betts came along. Like if we're being completely honest about it, like he, he put, he put Pittsburgh baseball back on the map. So he gets a lot of credit for that. Definitely an honorable mention for me. But yeah, I'm going Trout, Giancarlo, and Brock. Yeah, I, I, you know, you can't be mad at that one. Um, 
Trout is my obvious one. Obvious, you know, you can't you can't fight against Trout. I also have Giancarlo, and I know people are gonna get mad at that, and people are gonna be like, "Oh, he's kind of trash. Why don't you have Mookie? Why don't you have you know Bellinger? Why do you have all these guys?" You have to understand how good and how consistent Giancarlo has been throughout the decade. Because remember, this is a decade long list. This is a decade long team. So guys like Bellinger, guys like Yelich, guys like Mookie have come on later on in the decade. The one guy that I kind of you know had maybe in that in that three was going to be Mike Trout. I mean, not Mike Trout. It was going to be uh, Mookie. But even even then, like he's come on very late and he's had up and down years. It hasn't been like he's been an MVP caliber player every year. He, he won one MVP and he was above average the other ones. But if you look at Giancarlo, dude, he had one heat, one MVP, he had one MVP also. He absolutely crushed that year that he that he won the MVP, and he was a consistent power hitter. Other than that, you know, what I mean, he, I think he's already over three hundred for his career. I gotta yeah. check on that, but yeah, no, most of yeah, and you know, think about that. He did that in a decade, man. He hit over three hundred uh, home runs in a in a decade, and that's what we're looking for in this kind of list. My third guy, and there's a lot of different things, different things to weigh. So, you know, I wanted to pick Kutch because the impact he made in Pittsburgh. But that was a short stint. It wasn't like he, he dominated for longer than two or three years. And he's fallen off really hard the, the latter part of this decade. He's fallen off really hard. Where he's, you know, last year when he got his contract with the Phillies, I was actually surprised they offered him as much money as they did. You know, the next guy I thought about, a little bit out of, uh, I guess we could say a little bit out of right field, Jose Batista. Jose Batista was you know he didn't do it defensively he had a he had a cannon but defensively he was kind of a liability but his bat man dude think about that toronto blue jays team and how good they were how scary that offense was and he was the pillar on that you know we talked about troy tulowitzki and we can't talk about troy tulowitzki and his impact on toronto without talking about batista because he was the one that people didn't want to face he hit what plus 50 home runs i want to say two times maybe maybe a third time he got close he was a guy that was absolutely feared, and he was someone I'd put, I'd probably put over Kutch. And the last guy I would want to mention, and you know, because of because of his narrative and because of how influential he was to the sport, is Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper would be my third guy. The reason I have Bryce Harper as my third guy is we saw him come into the league this decade. We saw him win an MVP this decade. We we saw him, you know, win a home run derby this decade. We saw him pretty much own the decade in his own way. Even though he wasn't consistent, he was the most polarizing player of the 2010s, in my opinion. Think of last offseason when we had, oh, where's he going? Is he going to, you know, the Dodge? Is he going to San Francisco? Is he going to Philly? Whatever it was. He was a narrative, and he was a narrative for the decade. You know, people, you know, first of all, let's, let's just say he's a great player. He, he really is a great player. He's going to be, you know, one of the greats when, you know, his time's up. I really do believe, you know, his career still has hasn't hit its, its peak yet. So he's a guy that can still do it. He's an exciting player. He's a, he's a player that a lot of, you know, people who are growing up, a lot of kids, a lot of college players, a lot of high school players, model their swag after him. You know what I mean? He he might have been the closest thing to Derek Jeter as far as marketing that we've had since Derek Jeter. And that's a little controversial to say because, you know, you talk about Derek Jeter, everyone kind of just thinks of like gospels opening up. But, you know, Harper had that kind of, you know, Media impact, in my opinion. All right, let's go. Let's go to, to starting pitchers. So, no particular order here. I was going to ask you to make a rotation, but I think these guys are so good that 
you know, just talking about them should be, you know, is enough. Who are your top five? And I, f- I have a feeling that ours are going to be very similar. Who are your top five starting pitchers of this decade? Yeah, I think I think they should be very similar simply because there were some spots where kind of like Trout is for positional players. You have to have these guys in a rotation of the, of the decade if you know anything about baseball. So let's let's do this. Let, let's 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 go off the guys that we both we both we, we know we both have. Justin Verlander, you have him. Yes. Yeah, 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 that's a no doubter. Clayton Kershaw. Yes. That's two. Max Scherzer. Yes. So there are three guys that I feel should be locked in for absolutely everybody. And three, and those those were the first three that I wrote down, and the, uh, that's what I was going to say. Those three guys should be on everybody's list. Yeah, there the should be. The two spots are up for debate. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can't. You can't really, dude. If you don't have a rotation with those three guys as your decade team, you're absolutely smoking something, or you just haven't been there for part of the decade. You know what I mean? Like, right. those are your non-negotiables. So let's go for for our fourth and fifth guys because this one's the one where you have a little bit of you know give and take of, of what you know who or, or what. My fourth guy was Chris Sale. Who, who do you have as your fourth guy? Okay, as my fourth guy, I have Jacob Degrom. Okay, all right. I have Jacob, I have Jacob Degrom, and, and it's it's a little weird because he did come on later on in the decades, but I just think I just think since he's come on. He's, he's been one of the most consistent pitchers in the league, and he's been also consistently improving. Just, I mean, he just, think about it. He just closed the decade with back-to-back Cy Young wins. Right. We haven't had back-to-back Cy Young wins since, I think, Tim Rinscom, like, over a decade ago? Like, Big time, Timmy Jim, yeah. Yeah, like, last decade or something like that? Like, so DeGrom is closing out the decade on a high, like the, like I've I've said this before, and I'm sticking to this. Like going into next season, Jacob Degrom is my number one pitcher in baseball. I know that Verlander and, and Cole and stuff. You know, there there's a lot of the guys, but Jacob Degrom for the for that Mets team. Look, you're talking about a guy who just got paid this offseason and like built on what he had done the season before, like in in, in an even better way. Like that Mets team moves with Jacob Degrom. And I don't know, man. Like, even though it, I forget, I think what the Browns been in the league like four years, five years. But you talk about a even if it's just a half of a decade, like that half of a decade. I don't know, man. I have to put him. I have to put him over some guys, even though there's a lot of guys we can mention. I need the Grom in that rotation. Yo, how crazy is this? The Grom is yearly salary. His yearly salary. I think it's something about. 17 mil a year, I think he's going. Let me let me let me let me make sure of that. I think he's making 17 a year for the next five. Let me just double check on that because I, I am no, going somewhere with this. It should be it should be more because he got it is more it is more it is more. Okay, so he's he's actually at should be making 23 next year and then it bumps up and it, okay all right so ne- yeah. so never so never mind I was gonna talk some crazy shit because you know um, <laughs> yeah. what's it called uh, what's his face his contract is pretty similar um, what's his face a so Wheeler Wheeler's contract is pretty close to that and. No, man. Look, we we have a conver- we have a conversation right here with the number four spot. Chris Sale and Jacob Degrom's contract is pretty similar. Yeah, it's pretty similar. And look at the season Sale had. I mean, given he did have to deal with with what I said at the start of the season, looked to me like some sort of arm issue because we all know like the Chris Sale that was out there this year was is not the Chris Sale that we've come to know. But you're talking you're talking about two guys who got similar deals and you know kind of gave their team different results. I'll say this about Chris Sale, man. Apart from this year, he might have been the most dominating pitcher in baseball. 
consistently. As far as strikeouts, I know I know Cole had a you know an amazing year this year, and we've had consistency from guys like Kershaw and Verlander and Scherzer. But as far as just pure domination, Sill is one of those guys where I I feel like absolutely nobody wanted to face. You know, had had a World Series ring to that where he was you know he got the last out for that for that team. I, I felt like Sill was way too good to to pass up. Who, who's your fifth guy? Because my fifth guy is a little it might be a little surprising, it might not. Knowing the way we think, it might be the same guy, but who's your fifth guy? All right, so I'm just going to say, like, Sale didn't make my list. Ooh, so okay. Sale, Sale's my sixth guy. He, right. he was the guy that was right there. Like, I really had to think hard about it. And for the guy that I had fit, Sale probably is the better pitcher if we're just talking regular season. But if we're talking, I need everything from you, I have to go maximum. Like, okay. Like, that game. I have to go Max and Bumgarner because I'm I'm trying to build like my idea. I'm trying to build a rotation to go to the postseason. And has there been a starting pitcher this decade that was more dominant than Madison Bumgarner? Not even not even this year with the stars that we had playing. Look, like look, man, three time champion. Like he was ri- like that's that 2014 ring. Like Madison Bumgarner was the best pitcher on the planet. In the postseason, like I don't know, man. I went, I went with him fifth. I know there's other guys. Like I told you, Chris Sale is six. You, you look. You have your your Chris Sale. You have your John Lester's. Like you have a lot of. I mean, even if you, if you want to build a case for like Cole Hamels, like you have all these other guys. But I don't know. I, I went with Madison Bumgarner. I'm comfortable with him at number five. He was the definition of put the team on my back. Yeah, he he, 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 he just was. And you know you don't have Chris Sale, and you're wrong, and I hate you. But <laughs> but no, no I, you know I can't blame you for that. You know, Madison Bumgarner. The reason why I don't have Madison Bumgarner is because he has he didn't do it in the regular season. There's no doubt that if I'm building a team and I'm building a playoff rotation, that he's one of the first guys in history of baseball that I want there. There's no doubt about that. But regular season numbers, you know, he he hasn't he isn't a guy who has been up there in Cy Young voting. He's not a guy who year in and year out is going to be a consistent guy. He's missed a lot of time due to you know some some injuries that weren't even baseball related. So for me, I couldn't have I couldn't have um, Bumgarner in because yes. of those reasons. Even though you know I wanted him his to. His regular season, his regular season doesn't compare. Doesn't compare. Like the best way to put it is his regular season doesn't compare to some of the other guys that we've named regular season performance. But his postseason oh, was so course, much better. Yeah. Yeah, that to me, to me, it just creates a balance where I can create an argument for him to be my number five guy. I feel you. My number five guy, you actually didn't mention. You mentioned absolutely everybody but my number five guy, and I'm not mad at it because he's a throwback guy, and and that guy's Felix Hernandez. <laughs> Felix Hernandez, someone that that we that no one should have thought about in the last three years. He's been absolutely Riley, awful. Riley's boy, Riley. Yeah, yeah. You, I'm, I hope I get you know. You better, you better like the, the comment. Go watch this thing. No, but Felix Hernandez, man, he 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 absolutely dominated the first half of the of the decade. He was you know he was top five Cy Young voting. He was a guy who put in the innings. People don't realize how many innings he put in. At one point, he had. The only losses he had for parts of seasons were games that he lost by one run, and those games were two to one, or one to zero, or three to two. 
because his offense was absolutely terrible. Yeah, dude. I mean, think about King Felix on another team that wasn't Seattle, though. Can you imagine that? He, dude, he could have possibly been a 25-game winner at some point, so he was just that dominant. And he did it with a sinker. And, you know, now we're in the age of where your sinker kind of gets you more in trouble than, than you know, anything else. You kind of want the velocity. But still, man, he was he absolutely dominated the early half of this of this decade. And for me, it was good enough. The first five years were good enough to, you know, not really think about the last five years. The last few years have been rough, to say the least. And, and yeah, like, for me, I think Felix, he, King Felix, did enough to, to warrant being on the all-decade list. And, you know, some of the guys you mentioned, you know, Lester, he he had some historic performances. You mentioned Cole Hamels, another guy who had some historic performances. And, you know, you could have gotten a, a, anyway with these guys. The yeah, next, there, were, there were even there were more guys. I mean, look, you can throw Zach Granke in the conversation. You can throw David Price in the conversation. That's very true. Like, you know, like there, there's a lot of guys that can make up these five. But like we said, the first name you mentioned, gotta be in there. The last two spots, go crazy. Pick They're up in the like debate. A group of eight guys, but the, the first three guys, no debate, have to be it. Let's go to relief pitchers, because this one, this one was really rough. rough. This one was really rough, man, because, yeah. you know, I have my guy, and I'm not happy to say he's my guy, but I kind of had to. I'm talking about Craig Kimbrell. He won, you know, he won a World Series. His numbers with the Braves were were great, you know, the years after Braves, they were still very, very good. Like I said, he, he won a World Series, which is kind of what you want to do at, in this sport. But, you know, it, it was rough to pick him because I thought there were guys close to him, and I don't necessarily consider him as dominating as, as you know, some of the other guys. So, how about this? Let's, let's go three guys because we might have the same three guys, but right. I, had, I had Kimbrough, Jansen, and, and Aroldis Chapman. Who, who do you have? Okay, I had... Two of the three. I have two of the three, and Jansen was my fourth. Oof, okay. So I went... Look, nothing against Jansen. Nothing against Jansen. Like, I just think I'm going... Um, I think, if I, if I remember correctly from looking at the numbers, I'm just going uh, uh, overall, like, effectiveness. And I went, like, Kimball, Chapman, and Andrew Miller. Andrew Miller, okay. Andrew okay. Miller. I mean, Andrew Miller had, I think, like, a three- or four-year a three or four year period in the decade where he was like the most dominant relief pitcher in baseball. Like the year, I think like the year before he came to the Yankees and like the first, what he spent like a year or two years in New York and like his first season in Cleveland, like that span of the decade, yo, as a lefty too, Andrew Miller was crazy. He was dominant. He was dominant. He was definitely dominant. Like, like it was just ridiculous. Now I will say this. Like, Andrew Miller and Kelly Jansen is close. Like, Kelly Jansen could definitely be my number three guy. I agree with you. You have to go. I think you have to go Kimbrell. Like, I think Kimbrell has to be a lock if you're talking about three. Chapman, I know, is a maybe for some people. But, you know, like, no matter what opinion people have about him, like, the guy has put up numbers. Like, that is just plain and simple. So, Chapman's in there. I don't know, man. To me, it's like to me, it's it's inter- it's interesting. It's more interesting to talk about like the guys. Like if you ha- if you only had one spot open, right? Like like okay, let's let's do this. We take Kimball out. We take Chapman out. We take Jansen out. We take Andrew Miller out. You have one more spot open for a bullpen. Who are you putting in? 
this is gonna sound crazy, and a lot of it is because and the reason why it sounds crazy is because he didn't get opportunities to be seen as much. I was thinking Zach Britton. Zach Britton, he he absolutely crushed with the Orioles, man. He had a low ERA as a reliever. He was doing it during the years that they were making, you know, playoff pushes, making playoff runs. Well, actually, they never made a playoff run, but they were making playoff pushes. Um, he, you know, and he was ridiculous. It wasn't like he was just good. It wasn't like he was decent. He was, man, he was, yeah. he was, he was a top-level guy. I one season in Baltimore where what, he had like a point five nine ERA. It was, it, was, it was absolutely stupid. It was, it was absolutely stupid. Uh, yeah, so, so for me, I think he just didn't have enough opportunities to show that, hey, you know, this is this is a guy that could get it done in the, in the clutch. Because, you know, after that, the, the Orioles kind of sucked. He was injured for a while, but as far as pure dominance, man, he was there. And even, even with the Yankees these last couple of years, he's been very good. He's definitely, he hasn't hindered them. He's been very good. Still as unhittable as he was with the Orioles, you know what I mean? So who would you have? All right, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with someone that some that some people aren't gonna think about because he wasn't a closer. Ooh, okay, that's gonna be interesting. Go, I'm gonna go with David Robertson. Ooh, okay. David Rob David Robert look David Robertson's numbers for the decade. Everyone, everyone, go look at David Robertson's numbers with the Yankees. He had he had like those two years in between where the Yankees let him walk in free agency. Uh, the time, White Sox, the dark yeah, years. Look, at the time, it was the right move because, look, the White Sox needed a closer. They thought Robertson could fill that role. They wanted to give him $46 million. Yankees weren't trying to do that. Understandable. But there's a reason why the Yankees traded to get him back. And, like, if you look at this, if you look at his numbers in throughout the decade, I mean, I mean, look at this. If you, if you look at the start of the decade with the Yankees, okay, he started off the decade with a 3.82 ERA. Next season, 1.08. 2.67, 2.04, 3.08, goes to Chicago for those two seasons, comes back to New York, 1.84, and then he had like a like a solid standoff last year at a 3.23. But like, you're talking about th- three seasons in New York where he had almost under a one ERA, like as a non-closer, because that's the problem. Like when, when we're thinking about these lists, like a lot of people tend to shift to the closers. No one really pays attention to the middle of the bullpen guys. But but those are the guys that get you to the closer. Those are the guys that give you the opportunity for these other guys to come in and pour. So I'll go David Robinson. I mean, there look, you can you throw some other guys in there. You had Dylan Matantis, you had a guys like Wade Davis. You had a lot of these other guys. I mean, if you go back to the to the, when Kansas City Royals won the World Series, like Greg Holland, like you have a lot of these names, but David Robertson is, is very underrated in this whole relief pitcher conversation. I, th- I think if you're going to mention David Robertson, you kind of also have to mention Dylan Batances because he's in the same position, position where yeah. he wasn't a closer, but dude, this is an all-star arm for multiple years. You know, this year he didn't get to play because because you know he was he was hurt for most of the season. But Batances, you can speak about that in the same breath where he you know he never he was never a closer, but he had electric stuff. He you know he his numbers were always good. Then you have the guys like you mentioned in, in Greg Holland. You had Wade Davis. You know you had just a number of guys who maybe dominated in spurts. But I think the hardest thing with this list was finding people who were consistent and. Right. The consistency is really what, in baseball, you know, puts you on these kind of teams. You know what I mean? It's hard to be consistent. We see a lot of flash in the pans, guys like, you know, Jake Arrieta, who have a great, you know, one season as a starting pitcher. They have a great couple of years. And then the rest of that decade's crap. You know what I mean? And I think 
that's what made making these lists really hard. Alright, so last person on the list, because I think you can't have a team without having a manager. Or at least not yet. We're gonna get to that soon, I'm pretty sure. But who was your manager of the decade? I had to go with Bochi, man. I had to go with the group Bochi up simply off the three World Series wins. I know a lot of people, a lot of people might not pick Bochi because his regular season numbers don't really correlate with him, you know, being like a, being like a super elite uh, manager, especially towards the end of this decade. You know, the Giants have fallen off a little bit um, from that like five year period where they were in the postseason mix and, and won those three titles. But look, man, I'm going to keep it plain and simple. Regular season numbers are all great. But three World Series in the decade? I mean, you got to give the guy some credit. Yeah, he's, you know, I think he's got to be your number one guy for the, for the reasons you mentioned. You know what I mean? You had, you had other teams this decade win the World Series multiple times, but he was the only one that coached the, those teams. You know what I mean? Like you had the Red Sox win a couple times, but they had different managers. You know, you had, I think they were the only, I think St. Louis might have been in it a couple times and they had different managers. But yeah, no, Bochy has to be it for me. I think if you're going to give a consolation prize, you got to think, you know, Joe Madden, just because he won it again in the city that hadn't yeah. won it since, yeah, you know, fire. Yeah, since fire was invented. So you kind of need, you need, kind of need him in that. Then there's other guys like, you know, maybe, you know, Ned Yost or Bob Melvin, you know, who had, you know, first of all, Ned Yost, you know, he, he wins it. Oh, he's going to win it. Uh, Bob Melvin, you know, in the, the A's, he had a really long, you know, good situation there. And then, you know, last one you kind of mentioned just because how how successful he has been, even though he's never won the ring. But, you know, David Roberts, as far as taking his team to the playoffs of the World Series as often as he has, you have to mention him. But he's definitely not the one who should be it because the name of the game is winning the World Series. And if you don't win the World Series, I don't give a crap about what you've done the rest of the year. So that's why he doesn't get, you know, a higher bump up in that conversation. The last thing we're going to do today, just because, you know, it's December. We just ate a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of food. I'm um, in the Christmas spirit. I hope you are too. I like Santa Claus. So this next segment we're going to call Ho Ho Homers. And it's going to be, it's going to be uh, Christmas design questions. And I want your answer. Answer the best you ridiculous. It, it might be. It might be. We'll see. <laughs> All right, so first question is going to be, it's December 25th, or if you're Hispanic, the 24th, because you don't wait the extra day. And you're waking up, and you will get one present from the MLB. What present from the MLB would you like to unwrap this, this Christmas? All right, are you talking, just to clarify, are you talking about an actual, like, physical object, or just it something can, that you would like it can to see be, in MLB? It could be absolutely anything, man. It could be a trade. It could be a phase in signing. Oh, it could be. It could be. Oh, go, go for it. Go for it. I don't even know why I'm thinking about this. Look, I'm about to wake up. I'm about to go under the Christmas tree. I'm about to open up a box. That box is going to contain two New York Yankee jerseys, and one of them is going to be for Derek Cole, and the other one's going to be for Francisco Lindor. Wow. And there, that's my Christmas right there. That that's that's what I like to call a Merry Christmas. You would probably get cold, man. Cause that's that like one gift and you came out here and you double bagged it. <laughs> like, like a two pack of like Old Spice fucking like deodorant. Yeah, look, but we bought, we bought them, them jerseys ahead of time on Black Friday. Like, okay. We got two for one. We got All right. All right. All right. So next question. You have a whole bunch of reindeers and you have one player 
leading the way. This is your Rudolph. This is the guy that gets you home when it's the darkest out there. What player is your Rudolph? Yadier Molina. Oof. Okay. Yadier is it because he wears red? Is it because he wears I mean, red? That's too. That's too. Okay. That's you. I mean, he's already dressed like it. But look, you said you key word was leading the pack. Leading the pack. Lead, I think leaders. I think Yadier Molina in the league right now. All right. I can't be mad at that. Talking about leaders, player who you would most like to see dressed as Santa Claus. <laughs> Yo, Jose Altuve. <laughs> oh my God! Don't do it. Jose Altuve, simply because the site would be amazing. <laughs> I can't. I can't accept an answer that isn't Daniel Vogelback from the Mariners. Oh, that's he's a, a good one. Too. He's the only that's acceptable good. answer. Him or Luke Voigt, because Luke Voigt's also pretty massive. Yo, can we bring back Prince Fielder? We can't for this segment. We can't. We can't do it. Contractually, we can't. We can't bring people back from baseball purgatory. Um, Those are good calls, though. Those are good calls. I I like how Tulane just like up him like dressed as Santa Claus. All right. If you were to give Cole to any player, and by this I just mean a player not that you wish a bad season upon. But a player that you think might not do as well this season than he maybe has last or the years before. What player what, what player do you think has Cole coming his way? That is a tough one. Oh man. That's why I get paid the big bucks, man. Uh, oh. Woo. I gotta think about that one. I don't know about that one. There, there are a lot of guys who corn, like. Hmm. I really don't know. I, I, I really don't know. I'm trying to think of guys. I'm trying to think of guys who maybe have like a breakout season this year, just simply because I'm like, you know, I'm big on guys being consistent. Like that's why I didn't want to crown Christian Yellick last year off of his one season because I like to see guys do it in like two seasons, which Yellick most definitely did. Um, oh man, cold. I don't know. Look, I don't. I don't know if it's necessarily cold. Like that, they're gonna do terrible. Let, let's go with small cold pebbles. Since we can set back, I think Peter Alonso. I, I, right. I, I think because I think I think his numbers are just set so high. It's kind of like similar to Aaron Judge. Like I think his numbers are set so high that I think I think like it's gonna be to the point where like he can have like a 35, 40 home run season, and people are gonna say like it was a terrible season. Like, you know, I can see you know that. I can see are. that. If yeah. you don't meet those numbers, like people already expect. Now people expect him to be a 50 home run hitter every season, and he's. I think he's going to take a minor step back, still be very productive, but I don't see him hitting 53 home runs again. Uh, I'm pretty sure people expect 60 next year. Because if not, if not, yeah. if not, he, he's, a, he's a disappointment. Yeah, no. For, for me, designated for assignment. I'll say, I'll say this, man. I think my guy. I think he's going to like underperform, or at least not. Granted, he wasn't thought of this year. I think Jorge Soler takes a step back. You can't, you can't, you can't come from absolute mediocrity to be like a an absolute monster and then you know keep that going. I feel like he has kind of like a CJ Crone, Logan Morrison type of season where he kind, of, he kind of falls off pretty hard. All right, man, that, that's about it. We have about three weeks to Christmas, so expect a lot more Christmas team stuff. So yeah, but thank you for listening to Diamond Talk. Again, you can always you can always reach us online, find us on Facebook. You know, please listen to our podcast. We love having you guys here. And we'll see you guys next week.
Hey guys, we want to thank you for listening to the Diamond Talk podcast presented by The Craft Factory. Stay tuned for the next episode. But until then, if you have any statements, comments, or you want your questions answered live on the podcast, feel free to email us at diamondtalkpodcast at gmail.com. That's diamondtalkpodcast at gmail.com. See you soon.